Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is our first open support call to the investor creator community. If you're watching this on Instagram or on YouTube or LinkedIn, any of those other places, and you want to be a part of this call, feel free to join us at the investor creator community on Facebook. That's a public group. You can join us there. There's a zoom link and you can join us and ask really any questions that you have. Okay. This is our first go round with this. And one of the things I want to submit to you is that I'm possibly the worst person at technology in this building. But I got my main man, Alan, here. He, he's uh, running the, the ship on this side. So we should hopefully go through this without a hitch, but I suspect maybe uh, that won't be the case. But what I really want to do on this, we're going to be having this call every single Wednesday at one o'clock central time in the Investor Creator Community Facebook group. And it's really, for me, a way to just give back to the investor community. So I thought that this would be a, a lot of fun to do. And I just thought it would be a, a good time with the new year, looking at goals for the new year, different schedules, different things to really focus on, different focuses that uh, this is going to be something that we're going to be doing. But this is about you guys. It's not about me. I do want to take a quick moment to really just kind of go through a little bit of my background. Some of you guys know me really, really well. Some of you guys don't know me as well. Uh, for those of you who I have not met, uh, my name is Brad Smetherman. I'm a real estate investor based out of Nashville, Tennessee. I've been investing for about the past 14, 15 years. Real estate is all I know. I got involved in real estate when I was 18 years old as a realtor. My first six months, I made a grand total of $1,827. Now, guys, I don't care how you budget. Uh, that does not pay the bills regardless of age. But luckily, I got picked up by a builder developer. Uh, that was in 06. He was the group leader at my church. And uh, every week, you know, I was trying to sell real estate, trying to sell real estate, trying to sell real estate. Every week, he would say, Brad, you sold a house yet? You sold a house yet? No, no, no. Finally, I could say yes. And he said, well, I've got a new section in my subdivision and I want you to run it. I'm going to build a model home and I'd like for you to be a part of what we're doing. So I jumped in with him and everything was great until the crash of 08. And so I was very, very lucky that I got to experience and, and have an understanding of real estate not as an owner, but as an agent during that time, because uh, he went bankrupt. And it's not because he couldn't pay his bills. It's literally because he was in a situation where the banks, the, the mortgage on his development had a loan to value provision, which is a standard provision in commercial financing. And uh, they called his loan because the values had gone down. And during that time, there was no such thing as refinancing commercial debt. So uh, he went bankrupt, even though he'd never missed a payment. And so what that taught me was to not rely on bank financing. And so in my business today, uh, I think we purchased 15 last month, none of which with bank financing. Okay. We do not have any bank money in the business, nor have we ever had any bank money in the business. And so I started off with $300 in my bank. My first deal, I was 23 years old. Uh, that was a creative deal. A lot, of, a lot of what we do, we're deep equity buyers, number one. So I don't believe in, in thin margins. You know, I want a deep equity deal. So we're really strong marketers. We're really good at the negotiation and the deal structure side. So if you don't understand the deal structure side, maybe you're wholesaling or you're just paying cash. That is Real Estate 101, you know, what we're talking about at times is Real Estate 450. So, uh, guys, if you have a question, uh, raise your hand just like Kelly's done. Kelly's an old friend. Kelly, how are you? I'm doing great, bro. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Good. Happy, happy New Year. Yeah. Thank you. Same to you and Casey. So, I wanted to run by something, uh, run something by you. So, I uh, did a triage call just a few hours ago. Um, situation is pre-foreclosure and divorce. Okay. The mortgage is two fifty-eight. Uh, walk away is zero. Repairs, um, unknown right now. Uh, nothing on the surface, but I would say at least budget twenty thousand for cleanup and painting. Okay. Arrears are arrears are four thousand. Okay. And then ARV, this is where my question is, is, so the ARV, from what I'm finding in this property, it is in St. Mary's County, Maryland, which is an hour and a half south of D.C. And the comps I found are about 400. However, this property is on a lake, waterfront. Nice. So I wanted to see, like, what, you know, possibly, you know, you'd have a ballpark idea of what, you know, might be the increase in the ARV due to a B on waterfront. Um, it is a 3.5 interest rate, too. He basically just wants, they want it gone. 
Yeah. So yeah, for sure. So basic question, how much is waterfront going to increase pricing a lot, but who knows, you know? So like I've seen scenarios where you can be on the same lake and depending on the frontage that you have, or depending on if you have a dock or not a dock, or if you're in a situation where like you have lake access, but you also have a view uh, because the, the property has, the topography goes down to the lake, then all of those can vary wildly. And I remember Steph, my sister who got into the business five, six years ago, she had a property at the bottom of the mountain in, in Gallenberg. And her view was like 800,000, but the same square footage would have been 2 million at the top of the mountain. So, I mean, it can really, really vary, but obviously we have a really good deal here. So mortgage, 258K, repairs, 20K, $4,000 in arrears. So for anybody that doesn't know, that's back payments on the loan. Yeah, we're in a situation where we have a deep equity position. ARV could be 600K. So, I mean, this could be, a, I mean, certainly this is a six figure deal and certainly could be multiple six figure, you know? So when, when are we going to paper on this? Uh, well, actually I just talked with the husband again, a couple hours ago, wife T or ex-wife teaches. So I'm hoping to talk with her either later this evening. He's basically, he, he, he pretty much is ready to go. She just has to sign. He just needs to uh, verify that she's okay with zero walk away and hopefully pre presentation tomorrow morning, get a contract under contract. Perfect. Now, this is not within driving distance for you, correct? So it actually is. I was thinking it might be kind of on the line. Okay. It's about three hours for us. So are you going to go in person or virtual? Because there's a lot on the line on this one. Not the perfect presentation. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could possibly swing that because uh, Tim's on town right now. So um, it might be a little bit too much. But husband is, again, the ring triage husband is extremely motivated. I couldn't believe he said and zero walk away. He's been basically, she had been living there in the divorce decree. She was allowed to live there for three years. She lived there for six months and moved out. So he's just been paying the mortgage and the house has been empty for a year. Well, so he, it's just the divorce decree is usually going to say who gets ownership on the property. So the, the divorce decree didn't say husband or wife. Okay. Well, so wife owns the house. She's on title. He is on the loan. Ooh. So, yeah, so obviously she needs to approve all of this. He said through conversations they have had, yes, she is in agreement, but that doesn't help until I talk to her this evening. Yeah, that, that's perfect. That's perfect. So, I mean, go to paper on it. Of course, get your three CMAs, see what the values come in at. But I mean, this is, it's going to take a whole lot to mess this up. You know, that's good to hear. yeah. So, I mean, th this is beautiful. This is what uh, real estate dreams are made of right here. So. Very nicely done. Great. Well, thanks so much, Fred. Appreciate your help. Anytime. Cool. Guys, if you have a question, just raise your hand and we'll get to it in short order. Happy to talk about anything you guys want to talk about. Marketing, negotiation, deal structure, what we're seeing in the market. I, I guess let me go into that really quick because it's kind of a funny thing. Um, I think for the past, I don't know, eight years, I've, I've had a lot of people that, that I'm around that are waiting on the market crash. So... 2008, 2009 was a market correction, without a doubt. That was a real estate depression. It was terrible for anybody involved in real estate. And so around 2013, 2014, we started to hear about things like shadow inventory, you know, that there's all these bank foreclosures that nobody has uh, taken to market yet. The banks have all this stuff on their books and they're going to once again crash the market with all, uh, all of this shadow inventory of foreclosures. That never happened. Then we started to see a run up in appreciation and pricing from 2014, 15 on up to 18, 19. And people said, oh, prices are too high. This is unsustainable. So, you know, let's not be in a position where uh, we're buying right now. Okay. And I thought all of that was really strange. You know, everything in pricing is based on supply and demand. Uh, then we got into the situation with COVID. And for once, the naysayers really had, I think, a, a reasonable amount of data to say, hey, the, the market correction is here. You know, like in a lot of states, you couldn't really even go outside, you know, unless you were deemed or was it a essential worker or whatever. And parts of real estate were that and parts weren't. But I do know one thing that whenever there was the beginnings of a pandemic, people didn't want to go into other people's homes. And so the real estate market did slow down. And I remember speaking to people, um, one high level guy that was on my po podcast years ago, and he said, now, Brad, this is a crash in slow motion. And I thought that that, that was an interesting way to put it. And it was categorically wrong. Okay. Here's what we're seeing is 
you know, interest rates went from 3% to 8% uh, about a year ago or 7.5% about a year ago. And then they came down into the sixes and then they, they, we had a run up with rates really from spring, late spring until about six, eight weeks ago. And the rates the, on the third year, because the 10-year treasury had really, really gotten inflated, uh, the the rates on the third year went to eight, eight and an eighth, something like that on the third year, which was extremely expensive. Now, four years ago, if you had said, Brad, if rates are at 3%, they go to 8%, what's, what has to happen to price? I said, well, I think pricing probably has to, to come down. You know, I think that that would create a correction. We haven't seen it. And we didn't see it whenever rates hit eight and a quarter. And now the 10-year treasury, so the 30-year mortgage rate is really based on the 10-year treasury. So institutional money has a choice of where to go. They can either go risk-free with the 10-year treasury or go with 30-year 30 30-year 30 mortgages that really pay off very similarly to the 10-year treasury. And so there's usually a one and a half to two-point delta between the 10-year treasury and the 30-year note. So if the the tenure treasury tre- treasury is at three percent, usually the thirty year note is going to be at four and a half to five percent. Okay, we've seen an increase in that delta this year. You know, it went up to to about three point difference, which is like really really wild. And I thought, you know, that this rate has to either come down or the tenure treasury has to go up. Right, we saw the tenure treasury collapse over the past eight weeks. So it went from eight percent. I'm sorry, from 5% on the 10-year treasury down to somewhere around 3.6, 3.7, something like that, which is a heck of a difference. You know, that's what a 30% drop in eight weeks. And so the mortgage markets have certainly corrected. You know, so we went from, from eight and an eighth to right now about six and a half. And you can buy the rates down in the fives. Now, I believe that if we see anything on the 30-year rate that, that starts with a five, that we're going to begin to have a major run-up in appreciation again. If we start to see something in the low fives, high fours, it's going to be runaway city when it comes to appreciation in this market. So guys, keep that in mind. We're really, really happy with what we're seeing right now in the markets. Okay, A lot of people are calling for the correction. We're not seeing it. We're not seeing it on the retail side. I will say that we, for the first time, saw a bit of a slowdown this fall in transaction numbers. So uh, we buy generally in the Southeast, we bought in 29 states, something like that. Um, But uh, we're not seeing any cause for concern when it comes to the the retail side of the market, okay? Guys, if you have a question, raise your hand or hit me in the chat. Happy to talk about whatever you guys wanna talk about. Ray, you're up, bud. Hey, Brad. How you doing, man? Hey, quick question. What are your thoughts on trying to underfinance a deep deal where ARB is perhaps 50 to 100% above uh, median home price. So give me the numbers on it. Uh, so hypothetically, maybe uh, 400 ARB, 375 mortgage, 15K walk away. So it's pretty tight. There's not a lot of margin, but uh, it's a 5.5% interest rate. Okay, cool. And repairs? No repairs. Okay. And no back payments on the loan? No. Cool. What's the motivation here? Uh, I don't have motivation yet. Cool. No problem. All right. So got the numbers. So your question is, how do I feel about uh, owner financing this house because the, the prices are above median? Yeah. So median is probably 225, 250 in this market. So it's a higher price point. Just just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what owner finance market is like uh, above median home price. Gotcha. So, you know, the short answer is it depends. So what I would want to look at for this and, and really my litmus test is going to be, okay, if I'm going to owner finance this at say 430 or $440,000, because we can charge for, for those that, that don't know my standard on this, we can usually charge between a 10 and a 15% premium if we offer the house with owner financing. So the idea being that if you go to a buy here, pay here car lot, that you're going to pay more for the car than what you would have if you had just paid cash. Okay. Similar with owner financing. If you guys don't know the power of owner financing, try to find five owner finance houses in your market. It'll be very difficult for you to find. And my assumption is, unless you're in a major metro, I couldn't do that in Nashville. I mean, there's millions of people here. I I couldn't find five owner finance houses in this MSA. But what do we do when we have something above median? Well, what I want to look at is the days on market in this price bucket. So if I was going to owner finance this, you know, at, at 440 or so, I'd want to take the 400 to 500K market and see what has sold, what days on market is. 
So that's going to give me an indication of of the price uh, of the number of buyers that are in that price bucket. Okay, so that's that's the first thing. And then secondly, if that doesn't look good, then I want to look at absorption. Okay, so days on market. Keep in mind that that's what's sold. Okay, absorption is month supply. So I want to take a look at okay, how many houses have sold in the past thirty days, or maybe I take ninety days, so I have a, a better data set. And so let's say that there's thirty houses that have sold in the past ninety days. Then we're selling about ten per month. Okay, and then I want to look at okay, how many houses are in this this price bucket? So four to five hundred thousand dollar price bucket. Uh, let's say that there's 50 houses and 10 are selling per month and I've got five months of supply. Okay. And that's, that's quite a bit of supply. If we get over three months supply, three, four months supply, then we start to turn into, Hey man, how you doing? We start to turn into more of a, uh, a seller's market. I'm sorry, a buyer's market. Right. So that's really what I'm going to look at with that. It wouldn't necessarily like cause concern for me, but I want to be careful if I'm above median price. Yeah. Understood. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. All right, Miss Kelly. Okay, I figured I'd just go ahead and ask another question about this. So I do cool. have the prior listing I just put into the chat. So they bought it in 2016, same property. Just curious as to what you would exit, how you would exit this. Um, I know obviously a lot will depend on the ARV on it, but I'm thinking if the repairs are that low, very minimal, we could possibly do a sub two to retail. But then I'm also thinking, well, with the interest rate so low, we could potentially do an owner finance sub two as well. Just want to get your take on it though. Yeah. So, I mean, this looks great. I mean, do we feel like the condition is similar to this right now? As far he said, it probably needs cleaned out and painted. So okay. that's what he said. Honestly, I haven't been there in a year, so I don't know. Right. But this was in 2019 that it sold? This is 2016. 2016. Okay, cool. Sorry. So this sold for 293000 in 2016. And you're buying it for what? The mortgage, so 258 <laughs> So you're buying this for forty k cheaper than what this thing sold for yep. seven, what, seven years ago? Seven, eight years ago. Well, seven. Yeah. So just over seven. Yeah. In the biggest run up of appreciation that I think we've ever had. So, yeah, just really, really good. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, people, I'm so glad that you brought this deal because so many people would look at this and say, like, these deals don't exist. They do. You know, <laughs> whenever you have motivation with a seller and they have a problem, them getting the, the sellers getting all of the cash is secondary to them getting rid of the problem. And so like many of you guys need to see what a motivated seller looks like, because I mean, I was, when I was green in the business, I didn't know what a motivated seller looked like, but they will literally throw the keys at you whenever you, you greet them at the front door. I've had people do that, not throw them, but hand them like, Hey, here's the key. Like, I mean, we haven't talked about anything, you know? So, um, would I owner finance this or retail it? I would probably retail it. I mean, my assumption is, I mean, at 293 back then, I'd say you're probably close to 600 K exit. And so, you know, there's no wrong answer on this, but it really comes down to like, what's better for the business? You know, undoubtedly, you're going to make more money on the house if you underfinance it. Okay. But getting that cash, such a big cash pop in the business and taking that money and, and working it, in my opinion, in 10 years is going to be far, far more than, you know, what, what the difference is going to be. Right. So I'm 99% sure I'd retail this. Okay. So do you think we could get a decent price out of it if we just go ahead and clean it up and it as long as it's in pretty close to that condition? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is not to do any major. Yeah. Th this was not a beautiful house to begin with. I mean, the cabinets were oak. It had you know, kind of off colors. I mean, this was not a, a purely renovated product back then. And one of the things that you'll see um, in a lot of markets, and I'm sure that there's, you know, if, if this was Staten Island, maybe it'd be different, or maybe that's the wrong example. But like in really, really astute markets where there's lakefront, I'm sure that they really, really want a renovated product. But in most more country areas, most of the Southeast, you know, where the demographics are different, you know, this is going to be probably a weekend home for someone. And generally that person's going to be older. So they don't mind oak cabinets. You know, they don't care about quartz versus granite. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, it looked clean whenever they, they bought it, what in 2016. So yeah, I don't think you're going to have to do any kind of a major rehab unless this thing is just like street and gutted right now. Okay. Okay. Great. 
Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, really, really good. Keep me posted on this. Sure, we'll do. All right. I'm not sure if we already spoke with Ray already. I believe we did. Last call for Ray. Yeah, yeah, you're good. I'll lower my head. All right, cool. Right on. Just want to make sure I didn't miss you. Uh, Mamoon, what's up, fella? Brad, looking good, like the stage. Thanks, man. New things are coming. That's it. Uh, all the excitement. But it's the same jacket. It's the same jacket. No, but your whole setup looks much nicer now. Cleaner. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, uh, you, you'll be back to uh, broadcast more so I can tune to it more. Yeah, we've been buffering for about nine months. But yeah, man, we're, we, we got some cool stuff in the works for you. Yeah, I'm ready to buy more houses. I don't want to keep listening to your broadcast and be motivated. <laughs> Cool. I got this one. See if you can help me out, out on this one. <clears throat> a lot of it, I guess, is it's our fault by not listening or following on instruction. So as you saw that I posted in the group that um, we got a letter from the bank. So yep. this came out back in almost two years ago or a year and a half ago or something uh, where seller got a divorce. Give us a house, pretty much. Like you said, they will be throwing keys. So I guess it was at the time where she literally threw the keys out at us. I said, here's the house. I got nothing to do with it. No walk away. Uh, underlying mortgage was 219 at the time. But right now it's like 215, 216, 2.75 interest rate. And how was at the time? Uh, ARV was 250. And we got a, we were marketing it for a while. We finally got a tenant and buyer. And he was like, well, that was last year. In January time, I should do my taxes and I should be able to have my 10% down. So let me just give you some money now and rent it until next year and I'm going to buy the house. Okay, great. He came in, destroyed the place. Of course, we didn't put any trends on the house. He put about $40,000 damage on the house. We finally got him evicted. Now I'm with that house with $40,000. Even if we put 40000 in that house, will be still worth two fifty. Okay. You know, as of right now, it probably works about 160 170 right now. Okay. And on top, it's vacant. On top, we got this letter from the bank. So I just don't know what to do with it now. Yeah, for sure. So tell me more about your seller situation whenever you took this thing on. Well, well the seller uh, is still, you know, uh, she moved on with a new husband. I guess uh, they're going through divorce again with a new husband. Uh, she doesn't really care. If I tell her to do something for me, I guess she will be on board. She doesn't want the house back. Uh, she's not in the situation to take the house back. She would probably be upset if she knows the house got a $40,000 or damage on it. Yeah, yeah. And there was no insurance at all at that point? Only the uh, insurance with the house, uh, whatever insurance she had around the house. That's the only insurance she got. But we didn't put additional insurance like you always encourage us to do. We need to do that. Yeah, well... That, that's that's okay. Some people take my advice and and they learn the cheap way, and then sometimes this happens. So it's okay. I'm messing with you, man. So did you try to file an insurance claim? No, I mean, uh, I get. I mean, no, we didn't. So do you think we should call the insurance and say, hey, um, we wanted to get this out? I mean, what would we say? You just say we have a tenant and they destroy the house. Well, do you know exactly what happened? Do you know that he did the damage or do you think potentially someone else did the damage? No, he did it. He, he did the damage because we have a picture before he moved in and video and we also have a picture and a video after he moved in. Yeah, but during that time, what I'm trying to say here, is there any gray area for doubt that potentially he did not do this and somebody else came into the house? No, no, he did it. He did it. I mean, because after he moved in, uh, he only paid one month and then he stopped communicating with us. He blocked us. Uh -huh. And it took us some time to even get a hold of him to even evict him. So, no, he did it. And okay. uh, the guy who was actually doing some repair for us, he actually confirmed, like, hey, he made a purposely, like, hold on while there's all this unnecessary damage he created for her reason. He cut the wires, electric wires. Got it. He made a big mess in the house. Yeah, okay, cool. So do you know for certain that the, the insurance policy on the underlying does not have a vandalism clause? I do not know. I okay. have to call the insurance to see their insurance covers to see what's covered and what's not. Gotcha. Do you have power of attorney over that insurance policy? We have a power of attorney over the house, but not the insurance policy now. Okay. So I would try to file the claim. I think, okay, step one, let's talk to the seller, tell them exactly what's going on. Tell them that you're going to attempt to file a an insurance claim on it and see where that lands. So you've been making payments to Fargo for roughly how long? A year? Two years? Uh, about two years now, yes. Okay, cool. 
And are they still receiving your payments? Yes. Okay. And so I don't think that this is going to be a problem. I would continue to make the payments and I would, I would continue down the road uh, as needed. Now, if we needed to later down the road, get creative and put things into a trust or something like that to appease Wells Fargo, then we could potentially do that. Uh, I don't think that that's what's coming. Okay. Uh, okay. Could be wrong. Leave, leave them hanging with those letters. They, they send us again for the second time. Yeah. I, I'm not going to worry about it right now. I'm only going to get concerned if they won't receive your, like they're actively not receiving your payment. No, they're, they're, they're on time with the payments and everything. Actually, the reason is it's look like we made a two, two years worth of payment because when we purchased it, she was already behind. So we have to kind of bring the mortgage to current. We actually owned this house for probably about 13 or 14 months mm-hmm. and the rest would kind of bring it to current. That's what it makes it look like we would hold a note for like so two years. Yeah. I mean, and that makes sense, but you know, I'm just trying to make sure that, uh, we're not in a position where the bank is not receiving the payments, you know, until that happens, I have no concern. So just so everybody's clear on this, because my moon is one of my personal people. He has a deal with Wells Fargo where Wells Fargo has sent a letter saying, Hey, we know that you've bought this subject too. And you know, the, the concern is, are they going to call the loan? Well, they're still receiving the payments and they know that the, the tr- title is transferred. So does this happen? Sometimes it does. It's rare, but it does happen sometimes. So working through this, what do we need to do? And one of the things in that letter said that if uh, one of the ways to remedy is to deed it back to the seller. So, you know, I've seen people do that before where they deed it back to the seller, have the seller deed it back to them. They wait a little while and re- they record, you know, and, and that's the one option that you can do. But, um, you know, this would be a lot easier if we didn't have 40K in repair right now. Yeah, it kind of sucks. But so if I could get the insurance claim, so do you think after we did the insurance claim and then put it back in the market and just sell it and get rid of it or what? Yeah, I mean, if this thing could be retailed out of, guys, once a deal kind of goes sideways on you, it's tough to recover from it emotionally. So even if the numbers were better, I think it would be better for you to just get rid of this thing and focus on some of the better stuff you got going. Cool. Works for me. Thank you. You demand. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. If you have a question, raise your hand. we got about 30 more minutes and uh, we'll keep rolling. Jonathan, how are you? How's it going, Brad? Good. How you doing, man? Good. I like the new setup for the new year. Thanks, champ. You know, we're, we're always improving here. Yep. Yep. So I have a sub two uh, scenario. Uh, mortgage is 338. ARV is 365. Repairs zero. Luckily, it was zero as well, but they have a loan for $5,000 water treatment and $8,000 in flooring construction loan. Are those liens on the property? Uh, I'm not sure. We haven't done, we haven't got a paper on this yet. I can almost guarantee you the water softener is. The flooring, that would be kind of weird to be a lien, but I mean, okay. I guess the question would be, was this flooring done like two years ago or, or was this done last week? You know, some flooring companies will finance. So, you know, I'm assuming that they're going to be liens on the property. We can take it all sub two. Okay. Okay. 2.7 interest rate. Beautiful. Now, the only thing on this one is that it's a VBA loan and she has the power of attorney to make decisions to sell the house without her husband and make decisions. She was saying she talked to other investors about creative finance and like subject to, but I don't know if they explained it to her properly in a way where she's kind of not trying to go that route, but you know, she's coming, you know, she really has to get rid of this house. I think she's underwater. You know, I think they could put around like 40 K into the house and she's about to walk away with nothing. And, you know, obviously I want to help her out and do something about it, but if she's not willing to do something too, then I just can't help her out. Yeah. There, there's nothing here if we don't have terms. So, you know, like I said earlier, we're equity buyers. So what that means is we either need equity in price, meaning like Kelly's deal, there's like 300K in equity, it looked like. Yeah, that's price equity. We can pay cash. This deal doesn't make sense for us to tie up 338,000 plus five plus eight to pay off and have a 365K house. That, that There's not enough meat on the bone to make that make sense. And so in this scenario, we have to have equity in terms. So what that would mean is if we can take over this 2.7% interest rate, and then owner finance at 8%, then we're making the delta there each month as interest income. So we that would absolutely work. Probably clear a thousand plus per month. I, I don't know, Jonathan, if you've ran the numbers on that or not. But if if she won't do sub two, there's nothing here. You know, the question we have to ask a seller like this is, what are you going to do with the house if the house doesn't sell? And they're going to say, well, I have to sell it. 
when then you go through the number section, you know, here's my break even, I would lose money if I paid cash. So how am I supposed to pay cash to help you? You know, I, I think that that will solve this and they'll come on board with you. Yeah. So she was saying that, oh, you can't take VA loans up to. That's incorrect. Uh, like she said, she spoke to other lenders. Like, will she have a problem, you know, getting a loan for another house? If she has already a VA loan in place, will he be, will he be able to qualify for another VA loan? Yeah. And that's going to depend on that person's eligibility. Some people can and some people can't. You know, now what we can't do is be in a position to tell them what what they can qualify for. It's like we don't know their financial situation. You know, we're not going to be in a position to to tell some someone something that's not right. You know, like I, I'm, I'm a big believer. It's like we don't lead people on. We want to be like one of our core values at our company is brutal honesty. It used to be just honesty because I thought that that would get the job done. And that I found out that for most people, honesty means not telling a lie, where brutal honesty means telling the whole truth. <laughs> you know, so we don't want to be in a position where we're telling a seller, oh, yeah, you can qualify for the next VA loan. Maybe, maybe not. Some people can, some people can't. But I think the question is, is she willing, like, how much is this house a burden? You know, if, if she needs to get rid of the property, we can make that work. It's just not all cash. Or, you know, do you have some cash that you can come to closing and, and close? Some people will do that. I've had people bring $40,000 to closing to close on a house because they didn't want me to take it subject to. And that worked better for me, you know, but you no, know, we have to have something, you know, it's like we're charitable with the profits. We're not charitable with the business. So we have to be in a position where there's some type of gain for us as the investor. And with these numbers, I mean, it's just... It's just way off. Yeah, we we, we need we need something better than this. <laughs> she also had uh, listed with a realtor for quite a, quite some time, and I guess they just got out a contract, and so that's why I was I just had her on the drip campaign, and she reached out back to me saying, you know, look, it's time to get serious, and hopefully, I can make something work for her. Yeah, I mean, I hope so too, but it's up to her. You know, this is one where you may have to kind of massage it, be around for a little while, but at some point in the future. You know, most people are not going to be willing to write a 20K check to get rid of this, even with a realtor. Yeah. You know, what was that on the market for with the realtor? I think they were around close to 390 to 400. Okay. So you feel like the ARV was was less than what the realtor did? I think it's a bit off, but I think I could definitely order finances for around that price. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So go 399 on your own finance value. Do you know what your cash flow would be at that? Um, I haven't run the numbers fully, but probably looking around seven, seven to nine hundred. Uh, no, it's going to be more now. Let's do it real quick. Probably more. Yeah. So if you order finance this at three ninety nine, and you get thirty k down, your note would be three hundred seventy thousand. So if we run this cash, thirty k comes in, walk away zero. So you net thirty k cash. Then on the note here, so this is my profit box at the bottom right. Okay. Note is 370. That's what the buyer still owes after the down payment minus the mortgage amounts. Okay. So let me run this real quick. So yeah, they've only had the house for around two years. Okay. So yeah. yeah, that's right. 370 minus 338 minus five minus eight. So we've got a 19 K in note equity, which is like not very good, but it's okay. Cause it's free. Okay. Then your cash flow per month. If I run ballpark this 338 on a mortgage calculator so 338,000 on a 30 year at 2.75% 2.75 there we go you're looking at a principal interest amount of 1379 okay so 1379 that's principal interest out if i run the 370 at 7.9% we're at 2689. So what's that? 1310? 1310 per month. Okay. So for the people that are looking at this and it's like, man, that was fast. Yeah. I mean, we're we're good at this at this point, you know. But what we're looking at is with this deal in this box here, what is our net amount? Like how much are we receiving net for this deal? So if this deal worked out like we have outlined here on a deal you can't wholesale and you can't fix and flip, we would net $30,000 cash. We'd have $19,000 in note equity, which is is really net worth. I look at that as retirement money. And then this thing would cash flow $1,300 per month. Okay. So that's far better than a rental, all in a deal that other people are passing on. So, yeah, I mean, this would work out. It's a lot better than you said, I think six or 700 a month. I was like, yeah, it's got to be more than that. Yeah, this is good. All right. 
yeah, let's just hope, you know, she can feel comfortable back and, you know, smooth the head out a little bit, make her more comfortable, you know, moving the process forward. But well, appreciate it, Brad. yeah, but one thing I want to say here, I mean, we want to make people comfortable, yes, but we also, sometimes the best way to get a seller to paper is to challenge them on what they're going to do. So it's really about like, well, what are you going to do if the house doesn't sell? You know, so what have you done to get the house sold? I mean, this, this, these are the questions that we train on. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So whenever she goes into, well, it's listed. Oh, interesting. You know, how long was it listed? How many showings did you have? Why do you think the house didn't sell? You know, it's like, oh, it was under contract. Why didn't it close though? You know, like take them emotionally through all of that. You know, what are you going to do with the house if the house doesn't sell? Right. So that we can can get them to that emotional state for them to make a decision that means that they're willing to to get rid of the problem. Yeah. For most people to get rid of a problem, they have to be faced with the problem. You know, so I want to make sure that we do that. So it's not about us supplicating and trying to make them feel good. It's sometimes about making them face their their problem, which is uncomfortable for people so that they go a different direction. Right. All right. Thank you so much, Brad. I appreciate it. Yes. You bet, man. hundred percent. All right. Next, we have Isaiah. What say you? Hey, Brad. How's it going? Good. How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Cool. Hey, these calls, man. It's my first one. I'm not part of the group. Just a part of the Facebook group. But I do have a quick question for you. Yeah, man. So I am just. So I've been wholesaling for like six years. Oh gosh. Called something that you put out somewhere, and I was like, man, this is amazing. And so my question is, is it the same kind of marketing for? Like a t- traditional wholesale list, or are y'all working to different prospects? And after you get the deal, you kind of work it out. How do you guys just go to find your your buyers? Yeah. So there's an yeah there's an entire process around the dispo side. But here's what I'll say is that if you want to see the the power of of selling a house with owner financing instead of wholesaling, I mean number number one, keep in mind this. I mean, whenever you're wholesaling, you're generally wholesaling to someone that wants to make a profit. So you're in a position where like everybody's fighting over the same piece of pizza. It's really tough to split that three ways. You know what I mean? So, you know, everybody's like, what's your wholesale fee? Like you shouldn't make that much. Like it's, it's terrible. I haven't wholesaled anything in four years, maybe five. Okay. I do think it makes sense to wholesale in one of three different scenarios. Whenever the, the highest and best use for the property is as a redeveloped property, either infill or track land development. I don't do either of those things. So I would sell that land to someone that does that. Okay. So that's the first scenario in which I would wholesale. The second is if it's in a D or F class area. So I look at it as the pistol factor. If Brad needs a pistol to go to the house, then it's seriously, I mean, we've had these kinds of scenarios pop up and it's like, it's a deal. Yes. But I mean, because if I owner finance that house, I'm going to do some kind of stupid things to, to, to not get that house back, you know? Uh, and then the third, honestly, is if it's meth. So methamphetamine, meaning that this house has been labeled as manufacturing meth in most house, in most states in the country. If it's a meth house, then that remains on the chain of title. And that's just beyond. And when I say meth, it's like meth, fire, flood. So those are beyond the scope of what I'm going to deal with at all. It's just such niche like rehab and I don't want to do it. So I'm just going to get rid of those. But for the dispo side, if you want to see the power of owner finance, then take a raggedy house, a picture of it. Okay. Put it in a Facebook group, buy, sell, trade group in your market and say owner financing must sell no banks and just say like message me for details and watch how many people reach out to you. Okay. There's a, a vast need for owner financing. Okay. Now on the marketing side, if you are in a position where you can find sellers that will sell you at that kind of a discount, then you also have the same sellers that would that would do the the kind of creative stuff that we do if you knew how to create it. Okay, so it's not about the special niche seller. Um, what I have here at the bottom right of the deal analyzer is our what we call our big five motivators. So a majority of our transactions come from these people: pre foreclosure, tired landlords. So I can do this inheritance health and safety and divorce. Okay. So if we have people in those scenarios, then we're generally able to, to deal structure the way that we teach. But I mean, the, the amount of wholesalers remorse that you would have by switching and doing what we do would be immense. Yeah. Whenever somebody is a successful wholesaler and they come into this, it's like, they think about all the deals that they've lost because not, I mean, and it's not even about the deals that you, you, 
you wholesaled and you could have done differently. That That's like a whole other thing. It's the deals that you passed on that you had a motivated seller. The numbers are really tight, like we just went over, but we can still create what 30K cash, 1300 a month in cash flow, and 18K or whatever it was, and note equity. You know, so I mean, that's the difference. See what I'm saying? So um, it's not a special marketing thing. Uh, and the dispo side is, it's probably too much for one question. There's a whole process around that, but yeah. it, it's an e it's a pretty easy thing to find people that need owner financing. Uh, depending on the month, around 15 to 20% of mortgage applications are denied. Meaning these are people that actively think that they can, can qualify for a loan and they can't. So if you look at that, one fifth of the buyer pool all the time need owner financing and there's no houses. Gotcha. Well, that's awesome. I really appreciate it. And I enjoy, I enjoy all of your podcasts and YouTube stuff. So I'm definitely here for the education. I'm going to join the group soon. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, we're going to be having this call every Wednesday at one o'clock. So just jump on anytime. Yeah. Glad to have yeah. you. Cool. Yeah. You bet. All right. Brandon, Brandon Keller. It might be two Brandons here. So Brandon Keller. What's going on, bud? All right. Well, let's go to Jay and then we'll see if Brandon comes back in with us. So Jay, how goes it? Uh, yeah. Hi, Brad. Thank you. So, um, I have a, a cash, uh, option, um, after, um, so I have a property, a condo actually with, um, you know, some built-in equity. So market value is 185 and I'm getting it for all cash for 150 after like negotiating for last two months. For 150 or 115? 150. And I mean, he does not really need any renovation. Maybe a curtain change is furnished and it's a good SDR play. So either I could do the SDR play or I can sell it to someone as a one of finance. Okay. So is the question, what would I do with this? Yeah. Uh, so far on pass. And I hate to tell you that, but I'd rather tell you to pass on something that really doesn't make sense as opposed to be like, hey, there's all these ways to do it. So, and let me just kind of tell you my thought process. Unless you're deep in the STR game and you you have a, a lot of cash at your disposal, then this is not really a deep equity position. So buying for 150, it's worth 185 is not a deep enough discount for me to pay cash for anything. Okay. So that's, that's the first thing. Secondly, could I owner finance this for 200 K? Yes, I could, but then I'm either going to have to type so much cash to do that, or I'm going to have to sell the note. And once I sell the note at a discount, there's really not going to be much profit. So I would recommend that we, we either negotiate a better deal. You know, I, I'd like this deal maybe around 120, something like that. You know, 70% maximum. And that's if I'm, I like the market, there's not much repairs, which it sounds like this one does qualify for that. But overall, I mean, I, I need something better. I need something better on this. Makes sense. Yeah, there are other deals out there that are much better. Just, you know, when, when you get, um, you've invested some time and you kind of try to get a little bit emotional in your cash. Yeah. Uh, but so... Uh, it's good to run it by someone. Before you execute. The best deals that I have people do are the deals they don't do. You know, if I can keep you guys out of bad deals, staying out of bad deals is far more important than doing great deals. You know, if you stay out of bad deals, the great deals will come. But if you get into a bad deal, your first 10 deals, yeah, a lot of people don't have the staying power in the business to have a, an L on the board, the first 10. So, you know, I really want the first 10 deals for you guys to be clean, easy, obvious. So, you know, the, the, there has to be deep equity, obvious. If we have to go and spreadsheet it, it's probably not a deal, you know. So this one, let's find something better or negotiate a better price. But, um, yeah, I mean, keep, keeping you guys out of bad deals is really important. Yeah, no, I agree. Thank you. For sure. Appreciate the question, man. All right. Let's go to Michael and then Brandon. If, uh, if you're available after that, then we'll chat. What's up, Michael? Happy New Year to you, friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, look, I have a typical question, I'm a bit more general. I just want to know about it to, to, to get some clarity on that. So, let's suppose we buy something to two, and um, we have a lender in the second position, and then we wrap it and we sell it. We have a buyer, we have enough spread to, to pay underlying mortgage and to pay the lender, lenders in the long term. Uh, situation and happy days, you know, again, cash flow, beautiful. Now, 
what happens in the event of default? Meaning, for example, if we start paying the lender, because uh, we use uh, that property, the deed, right, deed of trust, as a collateral, but now we sell it, so the deed is you now with a new buyer. Right? Mm -hmm. We start paying the lender. So now, what happens to the buyer? What happens to the lender? And situation number two happens if we default you know, across the board, we start paying the underlying mortgage to the bank. Then what does this put it put them? What, what situation does it put them? You know, the buyer that already owns the house and the deed, and that said, lender in the second position. Yeah. So um, I appreciate us going to Armageddon right off you know, the first of the year. It's like, what happens if everything goes wrong and we, we just default everywhere? But I mean, look, we are, we are looking for lenders, right? So I need to know the answers to those questions. Yeah. And also, when, when we're talking to the buyers, we need to bring that into conversation. Like, hey, by the way, there's an underlying mortgage. We're paying our own lender. And they are also asking that, okay, so what happens if you default on your lender? Yeah. You know, I cannot just say, hey, don't worry about it. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it's really two questions. Like, what is the protocol here? Like, what happens? And then secondly, like, how do we talk to people about it? You know? Yes. So, yeah. So from a lender perspective, if if a lender's in second position and they're not paid, they have, they have the ability to foreclose. Now, if they foreclose, and even bankers don't know this, you know, but if a second position, because they'll say, oh, you can't foreclose from second or, or subordinate position of any kind. That's, that's incorrect. We close from second position all the time. But if you're in a second position and you foreclose, you're foreclosing subject to the first. So whenever the trustee's deed is given to the second position note holder that foreclosed, that first position remains in place. So do they have the ability to, to have collateral? Yes, but their collateral is diminished in that, you know, the, the first position is still there. And if they don't know who that first position is or worse, they, they can't pay it, then they have a position where they have a deed. Yes, but the first can't be paid. You know, and so that's the situation that they could find themselves in, you know, and I think the best thing to do in terms of a negotiation, it's like, hey, here's worst case scenario. You know, but here's also the truth is when I run private money, I personally sign for it. You know, so you can't you, you can if I default, not only do I default on this house, I def default on a portfolio and you can come after me personally. You know, so we're not going anywhere. Right. But I also want to make sure that you feel comfortable. So if you're not comfortable, it's okay. I can do this deal with somebody else. So that's a conversation. Brutal honesty. Okay, so I'm just but but then frank. So let me just clarify. So the first position will stay in place, but they they can only foreclose on the second uh, on their own position, correct? Correct. So what can they get from the deal? I mean from the deal. They get they the get deed. Back from the, okay. Yeah. So what happens to the buyers? Are they now dependent solely on the buyer's decision? Can they kick them out or? Oh yeah, they, they no longer own the house. Oh, dang. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if if a lender, and this is the answer for the first position, if you don't pay the first position, then they can foreclose and take ownership from the buyer because they're not paid. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so if the first position is being foreclosed, the second position is, is a lien on the house anyway, so. They'll, they'll have to be paid off if, if, they, if there's any remainder, right? But if there's an opposite situation when the, there's only lender, I mean, if we default with the lender only, the first position stay in place, but they still can get the deed back. I mean, the lender. That's correct. That's correct. So now what's the conversation with the buyer? Yeah. So the conversation with the buyer is, you know, hey, you know, it, the thing is like this conversation is a small part of a much bigger conversation. You know, the, the much bigger conversation starts off with, hey, so what do you like most about the house? You know, so how this works is we do owner financing. That means that you pay the payment to us. You know, we want to make sure that you can afford the payment. So can you tell me what your down payment is and your what you're hoping for as a monthly investment? Okay. So like that, fast forward 20 minutes, <laughs> you know, then it's, hey, so here's kind of how it works. As an investor, I have to make some kind of gain. We try to build cash flow on these houses. So how that works is we have the incoming payment from you at say 1300. And then there's underlying financing on that, the house with a bank and that bank is city and the payment is a thousand. So that $300 Delta there is, is our money. Okay. So we want to make sure that you feel comfortable that you can make that payment. Can you make that payment? Okay. So like, that's the conversation there. Sorry. So we tell me exactly our cash flow. That's, that's okay. Well, we, we come up with an example. I don't want to say exactly what the cash flow is because I don't, I, I'm, I'm not going to know, 
You know what I mean? Like if I said it's exactly $247 and it's 246, then I'm a big liar. And, you know, I, I'll say, you know, in theory, you know, mall parking it, something like this, you know, so that people know, I mean, we, we don't have, I mean, say not crazy margins, $300 for a note kind of sucks. Uh, we just came up with one with no equity that had 1300, you know, the, the equity was in the rate, you know, 20 minutes ago. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a conversation around that, that, that entire scenario. Yeah. Does that make sense? Thank you, Rob. That's all Okay, cool. I guess so. All right, cool. We got some questions in the chat. All right. Uh, were these in the chat on Zoom? No, on last. Oh, on last stream. Okay, cool. Uh, Naomi says, Hey, Brad, can you teach me how to do these transactions in my market area? I want to move forward, pass the training, and get some deals done. Cool. Um, generally, yes, assuming you're not in Littleton, Kansas, population of 30 people. You know, so, and it really depends on what the goals are. So like one of the questions I often get are, should I do deals locally or should I go virtual? And it's a tough question to answer without asking a lot of questions. And those questions are really, um, you know, what, what's the goal? Number one. So if you live in a town of 10,000 people, you can probably make a hundred grand. You're probably going to have a tough time making a million. Okay. So what's the goal? Number one, number two, what do you have to work with in terms of both time and capital? Okay. Most people that come into the business don't have a ton of capital, including me when I started. Um, and it's real, I would say it's pretty rare for somebody to have more than 20 or 30 K. You know, most people have, you know, they're not behind on rent, but they're not rolling in cash. Yeah. So what do we have to work with? And then, um, really what strategies call to you, but in most markets in the U S locally, we can make it work. When I say it, a six figure income, certainly. Okay. So that was, Question from Naomi. We had a second question from Robin. I'm a new investor. What do you think of micro flipping? I don't even know what the hell that means. Does anybody know what micro flipping is? It sounds like something that is what kind of marketing. So I, I, I don't know what that is. My assumption is it's like co wholesaling or something. Uh, anybody hit me in the chat if anybody knows what that is. We've got one more question. All right. Okay, cool. Last question for today. I've been wholesaling fixer uppers and doing it mainly on market MLS to realtors. I imagine can be done with sub two and creative finance. How are you mainly doing your marketing? Almost everything that we do marketing wise is search marketing. Okay. So we do mostly inbound search marketing. And then we do have an outbound team that does mostly pre foreclosure calls. Um, but when it comes to the marketing, anything works sometimes. You know, I've got one of my people, Gabriel and Kinsey, husband, wife team, doing very, very well. They started doing bandit signs just to test. It's working out exceptionally well. Okay. The thing that I see with marketing is that um, although I love search marketing, I mean, I'll, I'll show you guys real quick. We have a new contracts by month Slack channel. So yeah, last month we had 15 contracts, uh, purchase contracts. I don't know exactly our equity position for last month. It wasn't a million. My guess is it was in the eight to 900 K range, you know, which is a little bit low for us, but uh, not a bad month. We had three multi six figure deals. So we had, well, three over hundred K. There was one that was close to 200 K. Right. And, Almost all of this is search ads. Now, um, the thing that I see about marketing is that people don't do it consistently enough to really get the payoff. Okay. So whatever you decide to do, I'm a firm believer that I, and I looked into doing this one time and the people in the office know I'm this crazy when it comes to these ideas. But uh, I looked at getting a hot air balloon that said, we buy houses on it and flying that around Nashville. And I thought, you know, with the phone number, everybody loves hot air balloons. People would call it and I'd buy a house and pay for the hot air balloon. The thing is, I don't know how to drive a hot air balloon. I guess fly it. I guess you don't drive it, do you? You fly it. My, my team over here is looking at me like, Brad, you don't drive a hot air balloon. Anyway, appreciate you guys. If I can help you, let me know. Email me, brad at bradsmotherman.com. Otherwise, we'll see you guys next week. Appreciate you guys being with us.